Storehouse family, I hope that you are doing well this morning. As you can see, I'm not preaching uh, today. Instead, I find myself in the DFW with my lovely wife as we work with Acts 29, our church planning network. And this morning, I'll actually be preaching at Christ Community Church here in Denton, Texas. Some of you are familiar with C3 as we help uh, support them financially as they moved into their new building a couple of years ago. But that's another story for another time. This morning, you are joined by Pastor Randy Caulfield from River Church in Brownsville. He will be preaching out of Galatians 2 this morning. Pastor Randy is amazing. He is a dear friend. He has discipled me when I was younger. He has discipled me as a young pastor. I am greatly encouraged every time I'm around him. My family has been blessed by him. And so I can't wait to hear his sermon, but I'm so glad to know that you are being served well this morning by such a man who loves Jesus, loves the church, loves his family, and particularly loves God's word. So please welcome Pastor Randy Caulfield from River Church in Brownsville. Good morning, Storehouse. Greetings from River Church in Brownsville, Texas. Some of you may remember the, uh, the scenario that I'm going to tell you about, but nine, nine years ago, uh, River Church wasn't a church. We were, about, we were just like three or four scared little families, not sure we, not, not sure we knew what we were doing. Uh, we made a trek up to McAllen, and you all, uh, back then under the name of Logos, uh, you were meeting in a, uh, in, a, in a funeral home back then. Uh, some of you remember that well. Some of you think that's the weirdest thing you've ever heard. Uh, but we, you were meeting there, and we came in, and you, you blessed us. You, you prayed for us. Uh, you, you showed us your battle scars and then said, you know, you can do this too. Uh, you were just gracious people back then. And so nine years later, uh, River Church in Brownsville, Texas is, is thriving, uh, doing well. Uh, we're a sister church to you. And so, again, greetings from River Church. I'm a, I'm a Brownsville kid. I grew up uh, in Brownsville. I graduated from Hannah High School, uh, Homer Hannah Eagles. It's what, a, it's what a public school education can do for you. Um, and then my, my, my precious wife, Lydia, uh, who's here today. She grew, up, she grew up in Los Fresnos. We, we left. We were gone for, I don't know, a couple of decades. And then about 15 years ago, we moved back to South Texas to be a pastor, to continue pastoring. And then we planted River Church. We have five kids. Uh, one of them's married. Uh, they're, they're slowly getting out of the house, growing up. They all go to school in Los Fresnos. And so it is my, my delight to be with you today. I've been looking forward to this. There's something beautiful about, about the fact that, that I'm here preaching today. My associate pastor's preaching in, in, uh, down in Brownsville at River Church today. Uh, Marco's up in, in Denton preaching today. There's something beautiful about just how the, what's, what is supreme, uh, what is primary is God's word. Not any particular face behind the pulpit, but, but God's word. And so I'm, I'm delighted. I've been praying for those two brothers as they're preaching today, and I've been praying for you and all the congregations that they get to feast from God's word today. Galatians 2 is where we are at, where we are at today. And I know you've, you've, you've moved through chapter 1, uh, but I want to tell you just a little bit more about the context, the backstory of what is going on 
in Galatians chapter 2. This is a, a fertile church planting environment that we have. That's the context of this, this, this uh, second chapter of Galatians, really the entire book. We have three characters today in this chapter two, uh, church planters. We have uh, the most famous of them, uh, the Apostle Paul, probably the most important, significant missionary that has ever walked the face of the earth. We have his dear friend, uh, Barnabas. You would like Barnabas. Uh, you, would, you would be in awe of the Apostle Paul, but you would like Barnabas. Here's why. Barnabas is known throughout, uh, throughout the New Testament as a reconciler, as a mediator, as someone who would bring people together. When, when Paul would show up, people were a little bit intimidated or even afraid of Paul because they knew he used, to, he used to kill Christians, and now he is one. Barnabas was the guy that would, that would, that would bring people together. He literally, he literally brought Paul into the church and, and, and said, it's going to be okay. The Holy Spirit is breathed into the Apostle Paul. He's a new man. You can, you can trust this guy. Barnabas, he was, he was a mediator. A reconciler. And the third character in today's story is Titus. Titus is a young man, fairly new in his faith. And Titus is, of these three men, he is, he is the Gentile. He, he's not Jewish. He has, he has come to faith in Jesus Christ out of a Gentile background. So he didn't grow up, he didn't grow up in a Jewish home, learning the Torah, learning the, the, the laws of the Old Testament, the, the rituals, the tradition, the rich history that the Jewish household knew well. Titus didn't know any of that. So they're, they're planting churches all over Asia Minor. And, 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 and the way that is transpiring, the planting of the churches, it reminds me of, this may date, this may date me a bit, but it reminds me of the old, the old whack-a-mole game that she used to play at Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know if they still have that or not. I suppose maybe they do. But, but I'll tell you about it in case you haven't seen it. It's, a, it's not a video game. I don't know. It's, these, these little, it's an electronic game, and, and a little mole head pops up, and you hit it with this this soft hammer, and you, you knock the mole down. The problem is there are about 20 different holes, and so a mole head pops up, and you hit it, and what happens? When, as soon as you hit that mole, another mole pops up, and you hit that mole, and another mole pops up, and you're just constantly whacking a mole. And the game, yeah, whack-a-mole, right. And, and, and it never ends, and it can get quite frustrating, except then all those, all those tickets pop out, and you get, a, you get an ice cream or something. But... but but it, nonetheless, it creates this sense of, will I ever defeat the mole? I bring that up because church planting in that day, when you read the Apostle Paul's story, it's, it, it's just like that, except the mole is the false gospel. Any teaching that is contrary to the teaching of Jesus, as we find in the Bible. 
And also, a, go- a false gospel could be defined in this way. Anything that is a secondary issue that you make a primary issue. And you say, this is what I'm really going to live about, live for, rather. And you make it primary when, when God intends for it to be secondary, it becomes primary and therefore becomes a false gospel. So, so Paul, he has, he has Titus at times on the island of Crete and they're, 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 they're planning to church and, and they're, they're whacking these moles. They're having, to, they're having to kill these false doctrines, these false gospels and preach the primacy of Jesus. The story of Jesus is being primary. In, in the region of Galatia where we are today, there are, uh, there's, a, there, 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 there's a, a family of churches, several churches, much like here in the valley. We got three or four A29, Acts 29 churches in Galatia. And they're, they're trying to, to kill the false doctrine. They're, they're, they're whacking that mole and they're preaching Jesus and, and in Corinth. And, and so the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and Titus, they're, they're, they're planting churches and they're preaching Jesus. At this same time in history, when Galatians 2 is actually happening, like in real time, there is a... Uh, there's the mother church, the church from which Christianity spread. And, and where is that mother church? Well, it's in Jerusalem. So you have the mother church from which the gospel is spread and, and all of the other churches have been birthed eventually. And you've got these, these several leaders in the church and, and they're called church fathers. The church fathers. So we've got, for instance, uh, Peter, the apostle, Simon Peter. Maybe you grew up calling him Saint Peter. He is, he is the gentleman who, who preached that first sermon in the book of Acts. And, and, and 3,000 people were saved that day. So now what do we do? We've got a mega church on our hand immediately. Now what do we do? So, so that's Saint Peter. And he's, he's planting churches in Jewish communities, and he's writing letters to, to Jews that have been dispersed throughout Asia Minor. We've, we've, got, we've got John, another one of the church fathers. I'm going to tell you about three church fathers. John, uh, you know him. Uh, in, the book of, in, in the book that he wrote, the book of John, he's, he's referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was the disciple that took Jesus' mother, Mary, home and took care of her for the rest of her life. She lived in his home. And he wrote, uh, he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote the, the book of Revelation. A third church father that I want to tell you about is, is James. There's a book in the Bible that he wrote. He possibly or probably was Jesus' half-brother. So we got three characters in Galatia. We got, we got Paul and Barnabas and Titus. And then we've got these three church fathers, Peter, James, and John. And about this time in history, in, at the mother church in Jerusalem, a church council, which would be like a town hall meeting, is scheduled. They have to get the word out because it's going to take a while for the pastors and the church planners to come to town, 
but a church town hall meeting or council is called, and, and Paul the Apostle is invited, and uh, the meeting is specifically regarding these Gentile churches and whether or not they have to follow the rules and regulations of the Old Testament, and most specifically, in this case, whether or not they have to be circumcised. So Paul takes along Barnabas with him to go to this church town hall meeting in Jerusalem. They make the journey. Now, why do you suppose he brought along Barnabas? I'm going to suppose that he brought along Barnabas because Barnabas would temper Paul's emotion. Barnabas would come in and he would he would help he would help bring stability and and and, and friendship and calmness to the room. What's most interesting though is that he also took Titus. Titus. He was Greek. He was a Gentile. Paul refers to Titus in this fashion. He says, Titus is my true child in the faith, or my, my true son in the faith. I believe he brought along Titus as a test case to, to, to say something like, like, look, Titus is a Gentile. You, you, you're going to make Titus follow these regulations? I mean, Titus is my true child in the faith. He didn't grow up in a, in a Jewish home. He, he, he wasn't taught all these traditions. Uh, you're going to make him be circumcised as an adult? Are you going to require that he follow the law as a Gentile Christian? So he is, as I said, I believe, a, a test case, like exhibit A. Now with that as the backdrop, um, I'd like to read Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10, one more time. Galatians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, I set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I am not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And, for, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I say, who seemed influential, they added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, to to the Gentiles, uh, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, to to the Jews, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas... And John, 
the three church fathers we talked about, when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship, or they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles uh, and they to the uh, and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The word of the Lord, for which I give thanks. In our brief time together this morning, here's what I want to talk about. I want us to discuss the gospel in conflict and the gospel and peace. The, the last two years have been a cut, tough couple of years. Pastor Marco, who climbs up under this pulpit and serves you faithfully every week. I want to give you just a little bit of a, a little bit more of a window into his heart and into his scenario. I know he shares openly with, with who he is and, and what he experiences, but, but I'm not sure we as pastors ever completely open up, especially about how the last two years have been, as it relates to conflict and as it relates to peace. It's been a tough two years, the era of COVID, the era of a volatile election cycle, which just seems to never end. Over the last two years, I have, as a pastor, I have been, uh, depending on the week and depending on the message and depending on where we stand on, on wearing masks or whether or not we're going to meet, I have been, I have been called everything by my own people from, from uh, a gentle allusion to the idea that maybe I was a Marxist um, to, to a full-on um, claim that, that, that perhaps I'm, I'm a, a boorish fundamentalist based on whatever the issue at, at the time is. Masks or vaccinations or... Um, and I've, I, I wear masks and, and I've been vaccinated and, and there are, what I choose to say or not say about the, the election cycle, what I choose to say or not say about really anything these days. We just live in such a volatile environment. And so this question of when do we fight? When do we make peace? Maybe a bigger question, what is really worth fighting for? Because if it's secondary, if it's not worth fighting for, if Jesus hasn't called me to fight for that thing, then what am I doing? So, in the context back in Galatia now, we have, we have two, two ethnic groups, who, one really tight ethnic group, that would be the, the Jews, and then we've got this looser ethnic group that we call Gentiles. Uh, two ethnically, culturally diverse groups. 
And Jesus' work on the cross at this time makes salvation available to both groups equally. And no one, no one would have disagreed. Uh, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and Titus, Peter and James and John, they all would have agreed that the Jesus' work on the cross now makes salvation available to both ethnic groups equally. And yet, and yet, ethnically, culturally, the differences make this to be a very challenging time in history. The, the difference, the Jewish Christians had years of religious rituals that had been taught them from early childhood. And, and the Gentile Christians, Titus being exhibit A, the, the Gentile Christians, they'd grown up around none of these religious rituals. So the question at hand in Paul's day, in the book of Galatia, the question at hand do the Gentile Christians need to learn all of the laws and, and, and all of the rituals that go into being a Jew? First of all, I want to talk about, from the context of this story, when the gospel calls us to conflict. Because it does. In a, in a very narrow window, in a very few occasions, the gospel calls us, modern-day 21st century Christians, to conflict. In the, book of, in the book of Jude, we're not going to turn there, but in the book of Jude, I believe it's verse 3, Jude calls us to, quote, contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. I did a little word study, and, 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 and really, you can spend 30 minutes studying that word, and what you come back to is the word content. Really, another word would be struggle. Slight, slight aspect, to, to some degree, the word fight maybe, maybe, maybe goes into that overall definition, but contend for the faith. So we know from Scripture that there are times where we are to contend to struggle on behalf of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. When does Paul, in the book of Galatians and, and all, throughout, all throughout scripture, when does the apostle Paul choose to defend the faith, to, to, be, to, to find himself in conflict regarding the faith? Well, in verse 4, we see it's when secret brothers, there are probably some sisters involved as well, secret brothers bring in, slip in, sneak in to the congregation, the body of Christ, the church, and they begin preaching a false gospel. Notice, however, that Paul calls us to contend for the faith in the church. I studied and studied this week looking for a time when Paul 
or Jude or any other author in the New Testament calls us to go out into the marketplace and start picking fights regarding the gospel. I tell you, I just, I just couldn't find it. Now, I know that we're called, according to Scripture, to be able to give a witness of our faith in the marketplace, but to struggle, to contend, to, to have conflict, to pick a fight, when the Apostle Paul calls us in the book of Galatians and elsewhere to contend for the faith, it's in the body of Christ, the church, among family. We're called to guard ourselves from a false gospel. Now, at River Church in Brownsville, and I bet it's happened at the storehouse a time or two as well, someone will come in and they'll have a message. And they'll want to maybe form a, uh, what we call gospel communities or uh, around a certain message. And, and ultimately we realize, and this guy, this guy's bringing, he's, he's slick, he's sly, but, but he's got a message that's a false gospel. It's mostly true, but it's got a little bit of error, and, 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 and we, have to, we have to contend for the faith. That's what Paul calls us to do. And yet, and yet, it sure seems to me that Christians spend a lot of time in, in today's cultural climate fighting out in public, in the marketplace, with non-believers at times, and, and often regarding issues secondary to the gospel. Because again, the gospel is primary and everything else is secondary. The gospel, the story of Jesus Christ. I have three brief thoughts regarding, maybe somebody in this room would be like, yeah, you know, that's me. I, I'm always war, waging war regarding secondary issues. I, you know, you probably wouldn't admit that out loud, but maybe you're wondering like, whoa, is that, is that me? Pastor Randy talking, talking about me? Um, my first thought would be this. If, if you're fighting a culture war on social media, you know, at the, by the water cooler, you know, at your school, in the classroom, if you're fighting a, social, uh, a culture war, you're losing. When we consider God's economy, God's system, what he is really accomplishing on this earth, and, and the little fight that you're waging, you, you're losing. Colossians chapter 4 says this. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Yeah, I'm not sure that, that, that outsiders these days would, when asked about the church, I'm talking unbelievers, I'm talking about outsiders, people who, who, who aren't in a church seat or a church pew today. I'm not, if they were asked, I'm not sure that they would say, yeah, you know, Christians really seem to make the best use of their time. Their, their, their speech is so gracious and it's so seasoned, it's just tasty. I just love to hear Christians talk. If you're fighting a culture war, you're losing. Number two, if you are mocking and making fun of 
those in opposition to your beliefs and convictions, you're in sin. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, says this, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Dear friends, if you are a Christ follower, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of peace out in the marketplace. You are to be a peacemaker. My third thought regarding, regarding this matter is, and I believe this maybe is the most important one. If you're fighting a culture war, you run the risk of placing your conviction a secondary issue in the place of the gospel, which makes it a new and false gospel. I have to check myself all the time regarding some new conviction, regarding whatever, regarding, I'm just going to pick some that seem to be hot buttons, right? Because I can go back to Brownsville and you guys can, you know, you throw tomatoes, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, if it'd be, I don't know, if it'd be, uh, if it'd be gun rights, you know, or if it'd be uh, your right to, you know, go to Chili's without a mask or, um, or whatever. I- I'm, having to, I'm having to check myself all the time and realize, like, man, the things that, 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 that make my heart go a flutter, that's becoming a false gospel in my life because, like, that gets me up in the morning. And while I don't call it the gospel, I live as though it's the good news. So it's become the gospel for me because this for me is the good news. Maybe it's your political persuasion or maybe it's you know, something as innocuous as like a new, uh, new health care product that you're trying to sell, whatever. But it, it, it just, like this is what I really live for. This is what I really, this is for me the good news and and a secondary issue in our lives becomes for us a primary issue in our lives and it becomes for us a false gospel remember i know that you know this because pastor marco has been preaching this into your life the 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 the, the primary issue we could say it a couple of different ways one is Justification by faith. We're not justified in God's eyes because we follow rules or because we've, we've done anything ritually. We are, we are uh, justified in, in God's eyes through his grace according to our faith. Another way of saying it is that we believe that the primary message is the centrality of the gospel, the story of Jesus. That is what we live for. That is what we are committed to. 
Jesus himself didn't fight over secondary issues. Often, often they would try and drag Jesus into uh, the, political, the political mud regarding Rome, which was a very, very oppressive government that they were living under in that day. And they just want, they would, they would attempt to bait Jesus all the time. They just wanted him to make a political statement that they could grab a hold of and they could, they could run with. But he wouldn't do it because Jesus did not live for secondary issues. He wouldn't fight over secondary issues. They would also try and drag him into a religious, a religious uh, argument, right? Oh, you came to abolish the law, didn't you? Like, you came so that we can just throw out the Old Testament. We, don't, we can just live however we want, right? And Jesus wouldn't bite. Why? Because Jesus did not fight over secondary issues. Late in his life, trial, crucifixion. He would say, come on, if you're king of the Jews, why don't you fight? In some of the most stirring words that Jesus ever spoke, he said, if my kingdom were of this world, I would be fighting. My servants would have been fighting. But my kingdom is not from the world. Well, make no mistake, we are called to be battle-ready warriors as Christians. We are. But what we need to understand is that our battle is a spiritual war. That is a war worth fighting. We are to, as Paul, as Jude calls us to, we are to contend for the faith. We are to contend for the gospel In verse 2, Paul makes a, a, a really, really interesting statement. I've been hovering over this week. Like, what does that mean? In verse 2, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that there is a running of the race, like if your life is a race. I mean, in the best, not, not the rat race, but it's like this, it's this race, and, 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 and life is a it's just a slow and steady walk or run in the same direction. Tomorrow morning you get up and you just say, I'm going to be faithful and true. I'm going to take another step in this. Okay, so if Paul, Paul says in this, in verse 2, that, that there is a running of the race that is a running the race in vain sort of an effort. That's kind of scary. When you, if, if your life, if my life as a Christian is, is a race, and I want to get to the finish line, and, and I want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, the idea that, that there is a running of the race that could be running in vain. I, years ago, I used to run, I used to race in triathlons, and I always had this fear when you had like a, a six-mile or a, or a 13-mile run that I would not pay attention to the pavement and that I would end up like, you know, it, like downtown when I was supposed to be in uptown and like totally off the, totally off the, uh, off the race course, and it would have been like a, a total, I, I just ran, you know, the last six miles in vain. And the Apostle Paul says that there is a running the race that is a running the race in vain. And, and Paul makes it clear, this is in Galatians 2, that he wanted to avoid that. 
It's possible to pursue something as a Christian that I think is of primary importance that in the end is a running in vain sort of pursuit. It could be something as religious, as seemingly religious as, and this is going to date me too, like 30 years ago you'd be like, I'm all about hymns. What's these newfangled choruses they put up on the, I'm all about hymns. Give me a hymn. Do you even know what a hymn is? Like, let me give me that book and let me sing out of that book, right? Because I'm all about that. And I love hymns. I mean, I, I've got some training in, 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 in classical music. I love hymns. But, but, but there are things that we can pursue even in the church that in the end we say, I just ran a race in vain because I was not fighting, contending for the primacy of the gospel. I was fighting, contending over a secondary matter. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul, it's like he's saying, in case you have forgotten what the gospel is, let me just remind you, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be talking about the primacy of the gospel a lot. And so Paul, he, 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 he summarizes it for us. The first verse is, uh, before verse 3, it says, now I would remind you of the gospel I preached. That's, that's what that's what Paul says. Now, I would remind you of the gospel I preached. And then he, then he defines it. In verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And here it is. This is the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And then he goes on in following verses and he unpacks that. Notice he says that... <clears throat> I present to you what you know what is of first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Not what you saw on the Hallmark Channel, you know, uh, not, not what you read in some novel that changed the story of Jesus a little bit. He says, the story of Jesus as found in the Bible. You could trust God's word to be the gospel. So Paul calls us to be battle-ready warriors, to contend for the faith, but he cautions us. Is it really the gospel? Is it really the primacy of the story of Jesus that you're contending for? And I say that gently because that's a struggle for me each and every day as well. The gospel and conflict. Now let's just briefly talk about the gospel and peace. The gospel in peace. Is, is, the, is the gospel only something to be contended for inside these four walls? Or is the gospel something that we take out with us? And I would say absolutely. Absolutely, the gospel is something that we, we drag around in the best sense of the the verb we drag around with us everywhere we go. While I don't believe we're called to, to fight and be, be people of conflict out in the marketplace, I do believe that each and every day we are called to, to cultural engagement. 
That is what we are called to. That is what we are about as Christians, dialoguing with our neighbors toward a better day, toward a better day for, for McAllen and, and for Hidalgo County. By the way, in Cameron County, we have these things called resacas. I'm sorry, man, you guys didn't get them, but, you know, you got, you got the university. So uh, to contend, or, or rather, to, 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 to want for McAllen, for Hidalgo County, to, to, to be, for a better day, to, toward pushing back the darkness. That's what the Lord is doing here among us. Jesus, he talked to, have you ever, have you ever, have you ever noticed this? He talked to everybody, like all the time. His disciples are like, come on, Jesus, we've got places to be. Keep the kids away from Jesus. We've got stuff to do. And Jesus is like, no, come on, let's talk. Let's sit down and eat. Let's dialogue. Jesus was always about cultural engagement. See, we are, we are going to use some uh, political talk here. We are ambassadors. We're not militants. We are ambassadors for Jesus not guerrilla warriors. We are ambassadors for Christ. We engage our community. I'm a, I'm a, a fisherman and a, and a hunter, and my, my hunting I do with just, my, just my, my three boys don't really hunt much with other people, but but fishing. I'm on the I'm on the the boat or the, the the poling skiff out in the Laguna Madre in really really shallow water with a lot of a lot of men, a lot of men, and and and, and, and many many uh, unbelieving men. And I tell you, I talk with my unbelieving friends um, about Jesus more than I do with with Christians. And it's not because I have them captive on the boat and they have to listen. No, they know, they know I'm a pastor. And they find me a little freaky. They find me a little weird. Like, like, like say something about Jesus. We want to hear it. Like, like they, they, they're, they're fascinated. And we have the most, we have the most um, in-depth, engaging conversations. I, I was, uh, I was uh, the associate pastor when we planted what's, what's called City on a Hill in Albuquerque, downtown Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's still a growing, thriving church. This was 15 or 20 years ago. My wife and I and our, young, our kids, when they were young, were part of that. And, and, and we were in downtown Albuquerque, and, and we would, I would dialogue with the store owners, the shopkeepers. And the conversation would go something like this. You know, Randy, I don't go to church because in that, in that context, many of them were like Buddhists. You know, like they'd say, I don't go to church, but if I ever went to church, I'd go to your church. Isn't that what we want? Even for unbelievers to say, I just cannot, I cannot right now accept the story of Jesus. But, but man, is it, is, it, is it tempting because you Christians, you're just so gracious. You just, you, just, you just love each other. You treat each other well. You treat us well. I, I, I can't, I, this, this cosmic story of Jesus being the savior of the world right now in my life, it's too much 
for me to, for me to believe, but man, if I, ever, if I ever come to faith, I'm coming to your church. Having the discernment to know when Jesus brings the sword, which is not very often, and when Jesus brings peace, that's significant. At the end of this passage, at the end of, at the end of uh, I'll just read it real briefly, at the end of the passage, verse 10, today's passage, remember he said, um, he asked, he asked the, the church fathers, hey, is my gospel square with your gospel? Like, do I, am, I, am I preaching what, what you are preaching? Like, are we selling the same goods here? You know, are we, are we, are we on the same page? The, the primacy of Jesus Christ, the significance of the gospel? Are we, because I want to make sure that I'm not running my race in vain. And he says that the church fathers, Peter, James, and John, they sign off of it. They say, yeah, you go. You, you, you preach to the Gentiles. They don't need to be circumcised. We'll, we'll preach to the to the, to, to, to the Jews, you preach to the Gentiles. And then they say this, but, but only, like, one thing that we would ask. Verse 10, they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a narrow scope here, we're talking about feeding the poor, but, but, but can't you get the idea that on a, maybe a broader scope, what we're saying is, Care for the people around you. Would you just go back to Galatia, the church father say, and just care, meet the needs of the public. And what does Paul say? He says, that's the very thing I wanted to do anyway. I'm glad you said that. My, my, my heart beats to that end. Last passage today that we'll read is Romans 12. Beginning with verse 18, it says this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. If you would just bow your heads with me. If, even if you don't normally pray, maybe just out of respect for your neighbor, if you just bow your head, I, I want to speak a few words over you and maybe ask you a couple of questions and then I want to, I want to pray for you. Dear friends, if you feel like your gospel conflict, the conflict that you find yourself in on a regular basis, if you feel like your gospel conflict is, is actually righteous, it is what Jesus has called to you to, let me ask, is it in the church? Or are you waging gospel war? Or do you find yourself in conflict with people out in the marketplace such that you're annoying. You're argumentative. You're turning people off.
second question I ask you, as I ask myself, are you possibly, am I possibly running my race in vain? Living for things and causes and false gospels that Jesus never intended me to chase after. Last question and then I'll pray. Are you are you at peace with outsiders? Have, have you made peace with your friends, your, your extended family, those people outside of these four walls? Are you at peace? Are you a peacemaker? Are you engaging in the ministry of reconciliation that Jesus calls you to? If you would allow me, let me let me pray for you and pray for us. Oh God, in this, this day of, of conflict, this day of in this day of spite and, and envy. God, we ask that you would bring it to an end. That you would relent, that you would that you would that you would replace this this spirit of conflict that is even among the church you'd replace it with a spirit of peace god that is our prayer collectively for our community and our our nation but but more specifically god would you in each one of our hearts today would you would you root out the false gospel, would you root out the untruths, the, the secondary matters that, that, that cause our heart to be stirred the most? Would you, would you pull out the false gospel? We, we give that to you today. We give that over to you today like, like junk that needs to be unpacked. Would you, would you pull it out and would you replace in our hearts a deep passion for the story of Jesus Christ? God, you're pushing back the darkness. Would you, would you take us along as you do your work? You were, you were saving the lost. Would you, would you include us in that process? God, this is your harvest. You, you, you are the Lord of the harvest. Oh, that you would use the storehouse as you, as you bring many to faith. We know you're going to do that. We know that you love McAllen. We know that you're saving the lost. Oh, but would you, don't bypass the storehouse. Would you include the storehouse in your saving work. We pray this in the strong and the mighty and the able name of Jesus Christ. Amen.